the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. On this episode, I interviewed astrologer and friend Drew Levanti. We talked about Mercury and Mercury's connection to the trickster or to seeing the world as not so mundane, um, having experiences that are novel or interesting. Uh, Mercury is also connected to logic and contesting. So this quality of um, mental combat and not necessarily of a kind that is so um, intense, but, you know, can be very good natured or witty or like rapport is kind of a Mercury theme. So we explored who Mercury is, what this archetype is. And of course, whenever we talk about an archetype for a a length of time and we evoke it, we kind of bring it into the room. So this is a good opportunity to really feel into the vibe of Mercury. And Mercury is not just about communication, but it's also about connections. So Mercury connects the dots. Mercury is the bridge in communication that allows a message to be transmitted. Mercury is the technology that allows our text messages to go through to each other. So when we're on any kind of path, you know, our path in life, we'll need these ideas to help us shake up out of our stagnant patterns or help us make connections between where we are now and opportunities that are there for us if only we see the connect that we have to them. So Mercury is a great friend to get to know within the planetary pantheon. And we also talked about electional astrology. So for those of you who have ever reached out to me wondering like, hey, can you help me get a good sense of when I should release a music album or when is a good time to purchase a car? Like these questions about the right timing to do a particular thing. When you choose a moment in time to launch a project or a business or release a piece of art, um, these things can be done at chosen moments in time. Chosen moments in time that are chosen for the way that that moment is going to be a wave that is going to really support you and support your endeavors. It's like a customized moment in time to your ambition. So if you are looking for that kind of assistance, Drew is a great person to know for that. I actually just did a electional consult with him yesterday and had a really great experience. And I'm feeling really excited about what it is that is um, on the horizon. And I'm not announcing it yet, but all things in good time. And now I have that uh, more on my side than I did before I had this consultation. This weekend, so August 15th and 16th, Drew and I are both presenters at the Fresh Voices in Astrology Summit. I'm going to leave the link to that in the notes. And if you're listening to this in time, you can catch that. It's going to be available for 48 hours, or you can purchase the all access pass and have access to the videos and be able to download them and find out what is up and coming in the astrology world. Um, This summit features innovative, young, up-and-coming astrologers, um, the hottest new astrologers in the industry. So I'm really excited to be part of this summit and really excited to be joined 
uh, by my friends in this summit. And it's going to be a really cool event. Um, I'm going to be talking about the lunar notes and Drew will be talking about electional astrology. So if that's something you want to learn more about, you should check that out. And also, um, we'll leave a link to Drew's website in the show notes as well. So here's our conversation with a little bit more about Drew first. Drew is a consulting astrologer who works with electional astrology to bring aligned timing into the natal chart. Coming from a background in Hellenistic astrology, Drew works with individuals who want help navigating astrological cycles by timing their important decisions and next steps. Drew lives in Chicago, where he finished college in 2018 with a background in anthropology. Together, astrology and anthropology fuel Drew's interest in cultural understandings of fate, agency, and the power of prediction. Welcome, Drew. I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be in the sphere of Mercury with you. Me too. So how did you get into astrology and what is your practice like today? Yeah, so I started astrology, um, I guess I found it when I was finishing up college. Um, I'm the kind of person who always needs to be studying something. And I think something in me saw um, the darkness at the end of the tunnel of college where all of a sudden I didn't know what I was going to be studying. And so astrology was kind of the light that I put at the end of the tunnel. Um, and I, yeah, I got super into it. I started listening to the astrology podcast. And then I ended up taking Chris Brennan's Hellenistic Astrology course. And I've continued to just learn and learn and learn. Um, that's not where like the, the mystical and the esoteric started for me, though. Um, that's been a lifelong path um, that's had um, different episodes of acceptance and denial of magic. Um, and I feel like astrology for me has been like the final affirmation that this is my life and that magic is never not going to be a part of it. Um, so that's why astrology is really special for me at this point. Um, it's just a constant, it's, it's constantly living the magic of timing. Um, and so for me, my practice is largely at this point around timing, um, for both natal astrology sessions. When people come to see me, um, we talk a lot about like what part of life they're in right now. Um, as well as electional astrology, which is where I help people um, select times to do various things um, based on what is most advantageous for them and um, times at which they can learn the most about themselves as well. I'm really excited that you do that. That's a form of astrology that I haven't learned yet. Um, and I feel like it, it has some like technical finesse or like it's definitely like a craft um, to do the timing. So I'm curious, like with timing, um, how you describe that in the context of like what astrology is and how that even connects to a moment in time. Oh, wow. That's such a brilliant question. So in terms of, uh, in terms of natally or, or timing in general or electional, um, I just want to make sure. Um, I mean, I suppose both. Yeah. Cause I feel, I mean, and let me know what you think about this, but the birth chart is like the onset of a life. So mm -hmm. it has that, you know, there's something that is carried forth. Whereas like the birth of a business is a moment in time as well. And then the business 
goes on. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's interesting. You're, you're absolutely right that like a birth chart is an inception, like it's the inception of a life. And there are many other inceptions that carry forward over the course of a life. Um, and they all, at least in the way that I practice electional astrology, everything that an individual does relates back to their natal chart. Um, so when I am looking at the timing of doing a particular thing for them, it's always about tuning it into their natal chart and making sure that that time is appropriate, not just based on that moment in general, but that moment in relation specifically to themselves. Um, and there's, there's lots of ways that they can, that, that can go. Um, because, a lot of what happens when I do electional astrology is that times kind of reveal themselves and there's a lot of synchronicity in the way that the time ends up being selected. Um, for example, um, the numbers of the time that I pick might line up with something that the person has been noticing recently, like series of numbers that they've been noticing. Um, so there, there's just lots of ways that it can happen. Or another example is a person has been having an issue in their life related to the transit of a particular planet and the election can then become a way of tuning into and working with that energy um, in a way that's intentional and gives them a greater sense of agency and that the transit is not happening to them, but it, but they are actually participating in it. So I think a lot of electional astrology is this idea of participation with the divine, um, as it, not only, um, not only something that is outside of our control and the divine is something that is, is so vast and incomprehensible that it can't be touched, but that the divine is always being touched. And that when we are doing things in our day-to-day -day lives, the timing of that is essentially divine. There is never a moment that is, that is outside of that. Um, and so I think electional astrology I mean, for me, I use electional astrology every day um, in my personal life um, in a way that I've had to I've had to work out like exactly where the line is as far as what is what is obsessive and what is um, what is uh, authentic to me. But with practice, just like anything, I think that it becomes more and more of a flow, and the patterns that I'm recognizing become more and more. I'm part of a story that I'm able to tell myself. And that story is something that brings me comfort. And so that's part of what I offer as well when I do electional astrology is um, an affirmation that you're on the right path. I love that. So you recently presented at QAC, the Queer Astrology Conference about Mercury. Um, so I wanted to ask you, like, what draws you to Mercury as an archetype and how you would describe that archetype for maybe some like beginners to astrology? Yeah. So Mercury, it's, an, it's funny, like Mercury, um, I'll just start with my own chart and then we'll, <laughs> we'll get bigger than that. But Mercury rules my mid heaven. Um, I have Mercury in Aries and it's Kazemi the sun. I'm glad you're mentioning this because I was going to ask you about it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Mercury, it, Mercury is one of the like least dignified planets in my chart. Um, if we're talking about like essential dignity or sort of a traditional way of evaluating planetary strength, 
Um, and so when I first learned my chart and I was like tallying up all of the points in it, um, as to which planet was the strongest and which one was the weakest in, in a very airy fashion, I might add. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think Mercury was the one that I was like, ah, oh, I got to deal with Mercury, I guess. Um, Mercury is, um, it's peregrine, which is another like <laughs> fancy astrology term for not, not doing a whole lot of good. But the more I started like engaging in astrology, which is a mercurial thing, and the more I practiced this mercurial thing, astrology, um, I think I became more familiar with how mercury works and I was able to make mercury work a little bit better for me, I guess you could say. Um, Mercury as an archetype is, well, let's start with the signs that Mercury rules, um, because I think that's a great way for, for people who maybe are more familiar with thinking about astrology through signs rather than planets. I think that's a good place to start. So Mercury rules two signs, Gemini and Virgo. Both of these signs are mutable signs, or we could also call them double-bodied signs. So what a mutable sign or a double-bodied sign does is it is about the distinction or the, um, the adaptation between two states of being. So with Virgo, for instance, we're talking about the earth element and the earth adaptation between one state of being and another state of being in a practical sense. So we're talking about we often think about routines with Virgo or, um, or health or doing things to maintain health. So Mercury in that case, ruling Virgo is helping us adapt between one state of health and health and another, or helping maintain the boundary between um, a healthy state and a non-healthy state. Similarly with Gemini, we have a double bodied air sign so with this, we're thinking about the, the evaluation of multiple mental states, the fluctuation between one idea and another, going back and forth until we can articulate a message. Um, and so with Mercury ruling these two double-bodied signs, um, there is this kind of two-ness to Mercury. Um, Mercury rules some, some just general things. Mercury rules young children um, in the Hellenistic tradition and also I believe the medieval tradition, although that's um, Hellenistic is more where I'm coming from. So Mercury rules a bunch of things. Um, contest is one of the main mercurial um, significations that I like to focus on. Um, it's one that gets lost a lot. Um, a lot of times we'll hear Mercury talk about, um, be talked about as the communication planet. Um, it's the, uh, the planet that conveys ideas and names things. It's about description and uh, naming what is. It's interesting, this idea of contest, though, because contest is has a little bit more of, a, uh, of an adversarial connotation to it where there are two sides to something. And so here again, we see the double-bodied nature of Mercury. I'm glad you bring up the contest part because this is something from your presentation that like really struck like a epiphany for me because after that, 
You know, that was the first time literally that I've thought about Mercury relating to contests and I've been working with astrology for years. So that like distillation of this concept, um, went back like a domino effect to help me like analyze my life and like situations I've had and people with very mercurial charts and like the energy of contest. So that's like, um, how would you describe contest as a definition? It's kind of like combative, but yeah. Um, contest is combative, but it's also a little bit playful. Like, um, it's not, it's not all out war. In other words, um, one of the things that I brought up, um, to help us think with like the difference between mercurial contest and something more martial that, that has like a clear winner and loser where like the, the winner is the one who survives, um, is that mercury, all of the signs that mercury rules sextile, all of the signs that or one of the signs that Mars rules. Um, so if we think about this, like sextile relationship between mercury and Mars, um, it's, it's not super similar, but it's, it, there is a, there is a similarity where, um, it's a, it's a playful kind of, um, almost like a debate. Um, so if you, and this relates to Mercury's, uh, role as a, a speech planet, it's the planet that rules the voice. So yeah, Mercury and contest. Um, one of the things that helped me kind of solidify this, um, this way of thinking about Mercury is the Hellenistic notion of the common. Um, and so what this is about is Mercury's role in this, in the doctrine of sect, which is the difference between day and night in astrology. And Mercury is actually the only planet in the Hellenistic system that is not assigned to both sects. It's, it's, it's the only planet that can go between sects. All of the other planet, when I say sects, that's S-E-C-T, by the way. Um, although I'm sure Mercury would enjoy other things too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Mercury is the only planet that can go between the two sects of day and night it has this ability to be common, to exist in between and to play at the boundaries between things. And so with this notion of the common, one of the, um, one of the social situations that was used to understand this idea of the common, if we think about the, um, different social classes or different, um, different places that can be occupied by people in social structure. We might have the, the lords and the ladies and, and the whomevers who have a lot of resources and they don't have to engage in, you know, they don't have to buy things necessarily. They probably have people who go and buy things for them. And then um, at the other end of the spectrum, you might have people who struggle to survive and struggle to, to get their, their needs met. And at this moment in Hellenistic, um, culture, the merchant was sort of this in-between class, which um, the merchant did okay um, and was certainly able to survive. Um, not all merchants were the same, of course, but the merchant was this kind of in-between class. And so when we think of merchants, we think of the mercantile, and we already see this, this common root word of mercury, where mercury is the debate and the haggling of a purchase. 
So if you can think of, and, and so this purchase context, this making the sale is a very mercurial thing. Um, so that contest of, um, will you give me this much? Will you give me this much? No, I won't give you that much, but how about this? And let me, and actually we're going to pause now in this sale and I'm going to tell you a joke and so that you like me better. My last job uh, before being a full-time astrologer was actually in sales. So um, I guess Mercury is always ruling my midheaven has always been um, an important thing for me. So yeah, that, that idea of contest, I think is, it's part of this idea of the common and that there is a sort of ambiguity between or, or an ambivalence that Mercury is able to occupy where, you know, Mercury is, Mercury is going to be just fine. Um, no matter what, but Mercury has the ability to help in small gains and might threaten small losses, but at the end of the day, it's okay. And that's sort of like the context of the contest where it's a little bit playful and the stakes aren't so high, um, at least in this way of thinking about it. But I think that the stakes of Mercury can be very high when we think about um, sort of the, the importance of names and what is and is not named. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder too, like, what about like a courtroom? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, in that, yeah, in that case, well, that's a really great, that's a really great um, place to start thinking about Mercury. Um, well, so in the courtroom, there's a there's a set of legal definitions that is used to determine guilt or, or what's the opposite of guilt? Innocence. Innocence. There we go. Um, but any, I'm no lawyer, but I'm sure any lawyer could tell you that it's, it's not simply a matter of fact um, as to who wins and who loses. There's actually a lot else at play. There's emotion and there's, um, the skill of the communicator um, that can that can sway things in one direction or another. Um, but one of these things about legal definitions is that it's the it's often the ability to place a situation which is actually a very messy thing within a legal definition. It's the translation of real life into a category. Life doesn't naturally happen in categories. Um, if, if we want to think about life as being, you know, everything is one and everything is connected, then there's really, we have to go through category and we have to put things into categories in order to make meaning, in order to have a verdict. But those categories don't exist in and of themselves. There requires this process of translation. And so that's what Mercury does is it translates the, it translates the real into the understood. Okay. So this makes me think of what you were sharing about the difference between Mercury and Jupiter in your talk and Jupiter being more of this unitive, like more oneness energy of like seeing how things are connected and this point that you're making about how things in reality are not existing in categories naturally. Um, 
relates to this question that I have for you around how does a person in an astrological session or any kind of oracle tarot reader, anyone who's like delivering information from their practice, whatever that is, how does that relate to Mercury? Um, Like, how do you see Mercury in the oracular experience? Hmm. So I think it's about this. Oh, it's interesting. There's like an ambiguity and then there's also a precision at the same time. So when we speak astrological language or if, if you're using tarot, it's important to deliver a message that is adequately open to interpretation and Mercury is about this interpretation. And at the same time, I think anybody who gives readings has that experience where the person's eyes light up and they say, that's exactly it. And so there is this precision that comes from ambiguity. Um, And I think Mercury is kind of the magical bridge between the two that enables, that enables those two things to go back and forth and, and helps language, um, language is ruled by Mercury. It's the, the language that opens up a world of imagination that can then get translated back into somebody's actual lived experience. Um, and then the conversation can continue. This is giving me some like flashbacks of times where I've gotten readings, um, specifically about the future, Mm. like what's going to happen. And then the experience of the future happening. And then having that bookmark of the reading and being in the moment and being like, Oh my God, the thing is happening. And it's usually, you know, I think that sometimes there can be a fear around prediction. Like people are anxious or they don't want to know. But I mean, I even had like the memory that came to mind was um, getting the message that like the rabbit was like my animal for the month or something. And so just having like rabbit energy appear everywhere. And even in this one scenario, I was in like a group um, doing this activity of like active listening. So I think there were like three people and one person would speak and the other two people would just witness purely. And I noticed in that moment, this like psychedelic moment that people's noses in the group that I was in, like the way that they were inhaling and exhaling reminded me of rabbits. Like I could just feel that image transposed (laughs) onto them in this very psychedelic way. And I just felt like the reading had made my life more magical because it had like prepared me for a kind of energy that was actually, you know, and who knows, like people could speculate, why did rabbits appear everywhere? Was it because I was like suggested into seeing that or was the reading actually picking up on something and regardless like I'm Mercury and Pisces so I don't I don't even care (laughs) (laughs) it's all all one yeah yeah Hmm. yeah that's fascinating um well yeah Mercury one other thing about Mercury in the Hellenistic scheme is that Mercury is said to rejoice in the first house um, which is the house of self. And so when we, when we're thinking of something that rejoices, it's like, it's the most happy or it, um, what Mercury does 
um, which is communicate and translate and all these things is doing the best in the role of self. And I think that gets back to this, this, like this thing about, um, was it, which one was it? Like, you don't know. Um, the, so that, that interpretation element, it's like Mercury plays tricks on us, um, so that we can open ourselves up to greater magic and not be so, um, unamused by the mundane. Mm. Like I think Mercury, um, if we think about, um, like a natural house system, where Mercury is the natural ruler of the third house and the sixth house. Um, those are very mundane places, but I think Mercury, you know, even if something is mundane, that doesn't mean that it's unimportant. And if we want to live magically, I think it's important to give space for the sort of weird things that happen and the, this blurred line between, um, the future and the past even, I think sometimes comes into play. Um, like in an, in an oracular reading, is it that the person knows that something is going to happen to you or is it that it already happened and they're just recounting something and then your experience in the future, is that the future or is that the exact moment that you heard the thing because you're bringing that moment forward I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, um, whenever we, it's funny, whenever I talk about Mercury, I feel kind of like when I talk about Neptune, um, in this ironic way, you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. But I actually, I mean, I know what I mean. I know what you mean from my standpoint. So what do you mean by it? Well, just how Neptune, like when I talk about Neptune, I sort of get lost for words and I'm like, oh, it's like, <laughs> what is Neptune? It's, it's the thing that makes words meaningless and also full of meaning at the same time. It's that kind of mutability and adaptability. So I have like one more story and then I'll stop. (laughs) We're here to do Mercury stories. (laughs) So there was one time um, I was studying psychology in community college. Like I was getting um, some like classes that I need needed to apply for grad school when I thought that I was going to be going into like a therapy licensure, however you say that word, (laughs) school. Um, And I had a dream one morning of being around a campfire with five people and I was across from someone named Ryan. And that day in class, I got put into a group for an activity with five people. We were all gathered around like a stack of papers where the campfire had been in the dream and the person across from me was named Ryan. And it was like those moments, like it wasn't that meaningful (laughs) like it was just an encounter but because I had dreamt of it and then it was occurring it made the mundane less mundane so when you said that that really sparked me of like mercury can keep things interesting and not so mundane Um, but even in that sense it gave me a sense of meaning that at least I was on the right track yeah and I think that kind of reminder um when life is, when life doesn't have those reminders anymore, it gets a lot harder. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I, I love that story because it's, it's full of that. Like, it doesn't even matter if it was, 
Mercury is at, at once very concerned with exactly what is real and describing exactly what is. And at the same time, it's like, it is just the experience. It is just the first house. It's, this is my life and I'm, I'm moving. Um, yeah. So I think that's a really, a really, um, good story to share. So for the trickster side of Mercury, um, that's like one of the sides of Mercury that I feel like I knew of like right away and thinking even of like, if you're making wishes or something and whether it's to a genie or like in prayer that sometimes the way the wish is granted is like a little bit trickstery. Do you have any thoughts on why that is like when we make a wish um, mm-hmm. in those kinds of storylines that they come out different? Do you have a certain genie story that you're thinking of and we can like riff on that one? Um, no, just like that sense of the trickster, like be careful what you wish for. I think Mm -hmm. that some of these stories are a little bit more mean spirited, like something happens and it's like, wow, that's really not, you know, but like other times, even like the example that I think of is like with prayer even, which is seems like a more like heavenly or angelic space that if I ask for strength, then I might get experiences that are difficult and challenging through which I can become more strong through my resistance to those hardships. So it's interesting that, you know, thinking logically like, yeah, I'll ask for strength. And you just kind of think that it might be a magical thing, but it actually is like more of a contesting with Mm. something. Yeah. As yeah. In terms of the trickster, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I think, I think Mercury as a trickster is there to show us that things are always more complicated than meet the eye. Um, so I think about that with, um, like with the story of the genie and you make a wish and you expect it to go a certain way uh, very simple. I get the thing. And then that's it. Um, then Mercury comes along as this trickster. And I think, I think a genie is, a kind of mercurial figure in a certain way. Um, yeah. Then giving you a challenge or, or forcing you into a situation where you have to prove some skill. Um, I think, and skill makes me think of mercury as well. Um, yeah, there is something mysterious about, um, when we want something and like how that actually manifests. Um, is it a, is it a matter of will or is it a matter of right place, right time? Um, and Mercury, like when you're in the moment, it just, it just is, um, it is that very like mundane experience. And yet it also, I think when you're working with Mercury, um, it has a, a way of just being the right place at the right time or it feels that way. Um, and so it, it, and yet at the same time, it also brings us into this, um, this challenge of, I have to keep them, I have to keep the mystery going. (laughs) Hmm. Yeah. I think that the adaptability side of Mercury is key to, for working with things, not going exactly to plan. Mm. And, um, so one of my first, my first memory of you, because my first like meeting of you was at Norwalk and we were talking 
um, somehow we got onto the topic of like planetary placements. And so house placements came up and we're like, oh, what house, you know, system are you using? When you use whole sign, I use porphyry. <laughs> and um, I don't remember exactly how the conversation went, but there was that moment. <laughs> like, Oh, we use different house systems. And you were like, you know, like push back, like, <laughs> tell me why. Yeah, you use this. Yeah. I remember it was like, you were, um, I proposed in my kind of like Hellenistic trad chad way. Like, why can't we just like use the same one? And then why can't we just all use whole sign? And then you can like do your other thing on the side. And you were like, no, <laughs> and I said, okay, cool. Push back. Like why? Like, yeah, I, I want to have that, that contest. Um, oh, I'm glad you remember that Aries, conversation. So. I don't remember that part, but <laughs> Now I can see why I would have been like all like deflated, like, but I like porphyry. (laughs) But, um, I really liked that. Like that moment has this like really sparkly energy because it felt very like fun and connected. And like, then there was like a, um, a space opened up, like there was an invitation. Um, so that to me feels like an example of like the fun energy of contest and contest being a way that's involving like separate energies, but also separateness is how connection occurs as well. Um, yes. So. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that separateness being how connection occurs. I was thinking earlier about, um, this. uh, So when we think connection and separate separation, immediately my mind goes to Venus and Mars where Venus is that which brings together and Mars is that which separates. Um, And I was thinking earlier about Mercury and how Mercury actually does some of that connection work too. And so then I was just kind of like riffing on Mercury and Venus and how some of their significations can, can kind of go both ways. Um, And one of the ones was how we associate Venus with values and what is valued and like distinguishing between that, which we care enough to, um, to labor for and that, which is not worth it. Um, and it's interesting how Mercury kind of has this, this other side that is about value as well, because it's about, um, naming things in a way where they can be perceived as having value. Like if you go to, for example, if you go to a website and it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't look good or the words, like there's grammar mistakes, you're probably not going to take it too seriously. Um, so there is kind of a, a mercurial side of value as well, where, um, how something is articulated or how, um, yeah, ju- just the, the wording and the, the, how something is put together, um, is actually very powerful in terms of uh, determining what does and does not have value. Um, and that goes for, I mean, that website example is one thing, but there's also, I mean, there's a lot of other ways that how things are named and how things are described um, are powerful. Like this is the sort of, uh, there's so many cultural implications of this where um, belief and, and, and politics get pulled in. I think one of the things about Mercury too is about this kind of mania of um, this mania of connecting the dots 
Like I think about um, that meme where the guy is like pointing at the, at the, all of the things on the board and he's, you know, the yes, one I'm talking about. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Mer- Mercury is that guy in a way. Like Mercury uh, gets us into this frenzy of looking at the board and saying, look, I figured it out. Um, but you know, that guy's also kind of a crackpot and like, doesn't, he probably, (laughs) he probably missed something or he might be blowing things out of proportion a little bit. Uh, and so like with, if we want to, we want to scan for mercury when we're looking at society or culture, um, I think one thing to be wary of is when, this, when there's such an insistence on keeping the stories we tell ourselves going that we might miss something or we talk to each other and we're like, yeah, that, yeah. Like I, I'm trying not to talk about like specific examples of politics, but you might get what I mean. Like conspiracy theories or, you know, if you've, if you've ever watched like a, a conspiracy documentary where, you know, the story keeps piling up and the dot, the dots keep connecting. Um, I think that is Mercury's mania that um, it feels magical, but it also, I, I'm thinking about, I was like raised on conspiracy theories, document, conspiracy theory documentaries. So um, it's also like, oh, how did that make me feel? It made me feel like that was all there is. It made me feel like the conspiracy was the only thing. And I think to your point about like bringing us back to the adaptability, there are times when Mercury kind of turns into Jupiter, like Mercury connecting the dots turns into Jupiter knowing everything. And that can be a problem because what Mercury wants us to be able to do is to weigh things and to consider both sides um, or to trick or to, to use our knowledge in a way that um, unseats the unitary way of thinking about things or the this is the only answer way of thinking about things we want to be able to have more than one answer at the same time yeah to that point um something that i find really interesting about mercury and i think there's a jupiter side of this as well is that there's like spelling or spellcraft and the way that we tell stories changes our direct experience so if we like some of the activities that I work with in terms of like personal development and manifestation and changing my life and all of that is like getting a download of like, what am I thinking? Like, what's the actual transcript? What are the ugly thoughts? Like what's really happening in there? And then editing my thoughts um, to something that I can believe. So it's not just like a pure, like bombastic statement that's like, coming from nowhere, but like actually turning the story a little bit and then literally having a different experience. Mm -hmm. So it makes me wonder, like, um, even if we go back to thinking about like language itself and how different cultures have different, um, concepts that have names and certain concepts that don't, and then there's a different experience in that culture because there's language for different things. How is it that like Mercury is so cosmic and magical in that sense that what we say creates an actual landscape. Mm. Yeah. And so there is that intentional side that, that we can tune into with Mercury, like you're saying, where 
you have a story that's part of your like self narrative and that plays into some belief that you have about the way the world works, um, something ideological. And then you can like, you can unpack that and edit it. I like that. It's like a mercurial editing of the story. I think that's very useful as like an intentional way to go about Mercury. But then there's also an unintentional thing that happens with Mercury where the concepts um, or rather the, the words that were fed um, by culture and society are unintentionally played out through us. And that has a lot of implications. Like if we live in a, as we do live in a society that has a lot of injustices, it's important to be able to evaluate our words and perhaps edit the things that were fed um, so as to um, take more into, take more responsibility for the world that we're constantly perpetuating. Um, yeah, that's, that's where that made me go. Um, right. Yeah. You mentioned this earlier too, with like how Mercury, there's a power in what's named and what's unnamed. Is there mm-hmm. more that you could say about that? Yeah. The thing that I thought about with that is like, if you, if you go to a protest, you'll probably hear say her name or say his name. And it's, it's so important that people's names stay with us and that we remember that things happened because as soon as those names disappear, that's when history comes in. So if we, if we think about this as like a, a sequence of events that happens from inner planets to outer planets. We have the naming of something, Mercury, and then the, the socialization of something with Venus. And then the, um, as we get further and further out, we get things that are a little bit more rigid and unchanging. Like we get out to Saturn and all of a sudden there's, um, there's something structural that has become of the names. We have law um, with Jupiter or we have government with Saturn. Um, and those things are all the, the macro results of the small things that we do every day and the names that we give things and what we choose to say and not say. And I think that choosing to name certain things is going to be controversial. And that is what Mercury likes. When we think about Mercury as a trickster, being a trickster is controversial. It's undoing something that is more structural. And so when, when I think about like naming an un, the named and the unnamed, I think Mercury wants, Mercury is neutral and doesn't really care like what is named and unnamed, but Mercury does have the ability and therefore perhaps the responsibility to name that which is unnamed. And so it, ha- it gives us, if we work with Mercury in a certain way, it gives us the ability to, um, to bring language to things and bring language to things can then ripple out into those, um, to those greater structures. Hmm. Yeah. This is like, it feels like the astrology reading too, where you say something to someone and they're like, I've always felt that, but I've never had words for it. It has this like electrifying effect. Totally. Yeah. Naming what is unnamed. I feel like there is a power in that too, because it does ripple out and people are like, whoa, I've, I know what this is pointing to, but it's, and I feel like that's even like with literature, 
um, or like watching like really contemporary series or like um, seeing art that actually reflects reality, like with texting happening in scenes and stuff like that's like a newer addition to art because texting is like a newer feature of reality. But when we see, um, I mean, mimicking is like Mercury too, but just like when something is named that we know and we haven't seen it named before it does something that's. Yeah. Oh, and like that mimicking is interesting too, just to riff on that a little bit, like if a mime, um, which is like the, a mime is the one who mimics, right. Um, you think of like a, a mime in a box and sort of like the expressiveness of the mime that is able to bring the box into being. Like if we think about naming the unnamed, sometimes there's like, sometimes the unnamed doesn't exist yet and you have to make it exist. Like you have to bring it into being through a certain kind of expressiveness. Um, and like the, the, way, <laughs> the way that you move your face and the way that you move your body, um, it's, it's a, it's a constant performance. Um, and I think about Mercury a lot in terms of, um, performance, like oftentimes we would think about Leo or the sun with performance, but I think Mercury, um, in, is involved in that process of, uh, performance that makes things, um, comprehensible. That's really exciting to hear the idea of things that are created because they've been named. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. yeah. Another well, part of my brain. It, it goes to that idea that you brought up earlier with like different cultures where, um, a word, um, a, a name that one had, that a culture has for a concept that maybe that word doesn't exist, um, elsewhere. Um, that makes me think of that too, because it's like the word is bringing reality to something. Um, when I was a kid, actually, we did this thing, um, I was in like a sort of esoteric um, group that was um, pejoratively called by my father a cult, um, but my mom called it, I don't know what we called it. We just called it the school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and we would do this discipline called the walk where all we did was we went out to the field. It was like a, a, a fenced field and you know, the field has lots of like metaphysical connotations as well. And those totally apply. Um, we would go out to the field and we would walk on our own pace, doing our own thing and saying our own words. And it was literally just about saying the words that we wanted to be. And we would always say, I have always been X, Y, Z. I have always had X, Y, Z. Um, this was in like the, I think they, we started doing this in the mid two thousands, I want to say. So it was kind of around the time that the secret was getting popular. Um, and so it's, it's part of that kind of um, bringing things into being by saying them. And I've been critical of that at, at, at various times, um, to be honest, um, because there's obviously a lot more to it than just words. Um, and maybe we can use the, the cross-cultural example for that. Like there's a reason that a word and their, and a concept exists in one culture and not another. Like there are uh, material conditions that, um, and, and material conditions and social circumstances that evolve around those material conditions, which 
lead to the need for a word, or there's a reason that that word is being used because it's describing certain things. Um, and similarly, it's sometimes not enough to just say things and there have to be like practical things. And maybe that's where the Virgo side of Mercury comes into play. Um, that it is also about, um, about tinkering with reality in practical ways and kind of, um, what do you think about like the Virgo side of Mercury in terms of, um, like if we think about the Gemini, like words matter, um, how can a Virgo side help us, um, negotiate reality? Hmm. Um, thanks for the question. So yeah. <laughs> the tables, huh? it's always fun when people I'm interviewing ask me questions. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> expecting this. <laughs> um, so I think of Virgo as discernment. And I think relative to what you're talking about with like making a statement, like I have always been something and you're manifesting with the word that um, done just kind of bombastically and without discernment, I don't think that it's as powerful as when it's like a dart of a word that's like chiseled into the point, you know, so... That takes into account the social reality that you're part of, um, the resources that you have. And sometimes, too, I think there are hidden resources, like there's our gifts or talents or things that are within us that we're not fully acknowledging. So I do think there's a way that um, mysterious sources can be unearthed um, with like faith or optimism or things like that. But I do think the Virgo side is like more picking at, um, the pragmatic side and like what's there, but it is opposite Pisces and Pisces is this like magic Mm -hmm. sign. So I think even, um, yeah, Virgo, Virgo is interesting too, because if we're, if we scan everything for what's wrong, um, we can create problems we can create anxiety we can just like live in a state of there always being problems that we have to fix and um yeah i had this um it's not even a new realization it was just like a new arc of it where when i first learned about virgo um it was like, oh, like you can sweep the floor and the next day there will be more stuff to sweep. Like you have to keep like maintaining. So there's always literally problems if you're focused on them, but also like the little tasks of life are never complete. So if we're like resting or waiting for that, then we'll just always be in this kind of like anxiety loop, I think. Mm -hmm. So that's even the connections that you were talking about with Mercury and the mania as Virgo, you can just literally always track what's wrong, what needs to be fixed, what should I edit? And I think that that, if you pair that side of Virgo with a willingness to develop thought forms that are even create different chemistry in the brain. So like when we're anxious, that's a certain kind of chemistry. But if we're thinking about gratitude or like, you know, expanding things in our mind that create other kinds of chemicals, like that's also a practice discernment. Mm -hmm. But yeah. And I, I think with like, there always being more to do. Um, I think maybe that's the side of the mercurial manifesting that, um, that is important as well. Like, how can you, how can you, um, how can you keep the, the manifestation 
being a constant work. Um, and that even once you get your wish granted, um, as the genie would grant it, it might not be over or there might be like, there might be things that happen because you got your wish that you didn't expect. Um, and so I think that's important too, is like there manifestation is not like an end goal per se. Um, there can be like parts of it, um, that are important, but anytime that a manifestation materializes, um, there are going to be more things to do. Um, because life doesn't just stop as soon as you get what you want. Like a lot of times what we want is not, or what we thought we wanted isn't what we wanted. <laughs> and so there's going to be, uh, there's going to be more and, and keeping the story going, um, and keeping it interesting, I think is, is what Mercury wants us to do. Yes, <laughs> totally. Um, that's even like, you know, with understanding our natal charts or like understanding a moment in time, it can literally make life more interesting. Like there is also wisdom and, you know, like a catalyst for change that can occur, but just simply having a more interesting perspective or lens can do a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're offering chart readings and electional readings and can, I mean, elections are amazing. Like, I just think that they are like, um, high magic, <laughs> like to have this moment in time to take action, um, and to have that moment, like really be like a wave that you can ride towards like what it is you're intentioning, um, is super powerful. So, I mean, this yeah. podcast was launched on an election. A lot oh, of yeah. things in my past, yeah, were not launched on elections because I simply didn't know of the concept, but people sometimes will write me and they're like, Hey, can you give me some like advice on when I should do a thing? And I'm like, not really. <laughs> I'll send you to Drew. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really exciting. And I think, um, the way I see it is about keeping this. It is about keeping the story going and keeping the story magical and that you know, you might, you might pick an election to do a particular thing and you might have an idea about how it's going to go. Um, but I think the process of like getting an election and going through, like talking to me or writing to me about like what you want it to be, um, like those words matter and sometimes they can lead you places that you didn't expect. So, um, how can people find you? And oh yeah, 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 totally. Um, you can, you can put in drewlevanti.com and that'll take you to my website, like my astrology website, um, which is called RK astrology, um, which is like arch with an E, um, dot com, dot com. And <laughs> <laughs> or you can just put in my name that works too. I haven't um, thought about that little jingle for years. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? That's for Expedia, right? I think. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. See, that's how advertising it's like. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about, yeah, that's funny. A mercurial thing. Yeah. So is there anything coming up, Drew? Yeah, actually, um, I will be, I think it's, when is it like a week from now, a little more than a week from now it's on August the, 15th and 16th. Yeah. August 15th. Now I just revealed, I already know the answer to the question. Yeah, you do. <laughs> but that's because we're both going to be there. Um, it's the Fresh Voices in Astrology, um, Summit, I think. Summit, yeah. Um, yeah, Fresh Voices in Astrology. I'll be there talking about electional astrology. So if you want to know more, um, even if you do electional astrology already, I'm not going to focus too much on like 
how to do it. Um, but more just kind of riffing in this way that we've done a little bit as far as what it can do, um, like what kind of work it can do in our lives, um, in terms of magic or manifestation, um, and keeping the story going. Awesome. Um, yeah. I'll be speaking at the first slot of that. That's on Saturday. Um, at, I think it's nine Pacific. Cool. I'm excited. And you'll be there too, right? Yeah, I'll be presenting about the lunar nodes and this idea of karma and practice. So how our personality is like a vehicle for karma and that if we change our personality, we can change our circumstances. And I think of the personality as not the deepest part of who we are. It's like patterns that we've created for whatever reason. So I'm excited to see that. Thanks. I'm excited to see yours. Thank you for joining me and sharing your knowledge of Mercury and this transmission of Mercury, really. Like, I feel like, um, yeah, Mercury is present in this conversation. <laughs> yeah. And, and may, may they continue to be. <laughs> Thanks, cool. Drew. Thank you for having me. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation. And if you made some new connections, that is Mercury's magic at play right there. And before you go, I would love it if you would help me make some connections as well. If you rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, then this magical thing happens in the algorithm where people who are listening to similar podcasts get recommended this podcast as well. So people who have never heard of this find their way into this show. And through listening to this show, they get introduced to a bunch of amazing people who have been my guests um, and all these ideas that are super life enhancing and spiritually enhancing. So it makes connections happen that didn't happen before. It's actually really impactful, both for helping this show spread, but also helping me to meet people that may be interested in working with me or taking some of my courses. I'm all about increasing magic and astrological literacy in the world. So you rating and reviewing this podcast helps so much more than you know. And, and the ripples of reviewing this podcast reverberate out into the cosmos in ways that, you know, we can't really know, but there's, I'm sure plenty of things that you've enjoyed picking up content, um, you know, maybe how you found this podcast, it was through word of mouth or something like that. So um, helping to stay things in circulation is very mercurial and very appreciated around here. So if you take a screenshot of your review before you click submit and email it to me over at sabrina at monarchastrology.com, I'll take down your email address and send you a free gift that I'm working on for podcast reviewers when that gift is ready. Oh, and I don't want to sign off here without saying that I truly invite you who are listening into my community. I would love it if you signed up for my mailing list and read or watched my weekly forecasts on YouTube, their written version on the mailing list or phonicastrology.com. I would love to work with you. I would love to have you in one of my courses, whether that's uh, the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive or some of these other things I create, like the Online Presence as Performance Art Class. If you enjoy this podcast, I consider us having like mind. So I would absolutely love to work with you at some point. I hope that you have a beautiful week and maybe I'll see you at the Fresh Voices in Astrology Summit. 